0: Hello
1: fellow POTS patients and awesome people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your hyperadrenergic host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. So today we are speaking with Rhonda, who kindly volunteered to share her story with us so that the rest of us might benefit. Rhonda, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. I'm really excited
2: to, to be here and talk about this, so so thanks for having me.
1: Well, we're excited to meet you. So what are some basics we should know about you for starters? Like where are you? How old are you? What are you passionate about?
2: Okay, well, I am 40 years old and I'm currently in my hometown of Vernal, Utah. A little small town. People know it as Dinosaur Land.
1: <laughs> it's where Dinosaur National Monument is. Is that because they find they find lots of like dinosaur bones and stuff there? Yeah, there's a lot
2: of fossils and stuff that they've recovered in this area. So, so that's kind of what my hometown is known for. So, that's where I am. I'm like I said, 40 years old. I am a physician assistant, and so health and wellness has been my passion for decades. You know, I grew up an athlete and. I've been active and participant in the community of sports and all of those types of things for years. I enjoy outdoor stuff, so biking, hiking, wake surfing, all those kinds of things. Swimming, I do lap swimming, kind of anything that's activity related, that is my, my go-to. So, you know, I've been able to do a little less of that as of late, but but hopefully we're
1: getting back in that direction. Yeah, so you said you were a physician's assistant. Any particular type of physician? Like, what kinds of patients did you tend to see? So I've been a PA for ten years, and I've
2: worked with various in various types of clinics. So I've done internal medicine, pediatrics, family medicine, women's health, and orthopedics. You know, rural medicine, kind of a broad broad base. My last job was in orthopedics. Specifically, I did that for two years before I got kicked out of work because I was so sick. So,
1: okay, well, maybe we'll hear more about that in a minute. Can I ask how would your friends or family describe your personality? I think they would
2: describe it as positive, as someone that likes to have a good time, who cares about others, who, you know, never quits very stubborn. <laughs> I guess those are kind of the positive things for the most
1: part. I don't know, if we have to get them in here and ask them. Okay, one more question. This time I'm going to force you to brag about yourself a little bit. What okay. is something that you're good at?
2: I feel like I was good at my job as a physician assistant. So, you know, patients would say that i did a great job of listening to them believing them being their advocate and i feel like that's something that kind of goes across the spectrum for me in general i'm good at advocating for people and that's kind of what i do i'm I'm a really good basketball player (laughs) if you want to say that (laughs) but yeah those are kind of a couple of things
1: i would say so Before we dig into your POTS journey, since you mentioned that you were known for listening to patients and believing patients, and this was even before, I think, you had bad POTS. What do you think makes some healthcare professionals believe patients and listen to patients and others not? Do you have any insights?
2: One of the things that I always told myself I would do is just listen and listen to what the patient is telling you because you know i think about myself as a patient and you know how much courage does it get for you to make the appointment to go in and start talk about these things with somebody like why would you why would you be nefarious why would you make stuff up you know if they're taking their time out of their day they're paying you to have these discussions like why are you not listening to them but i think medicine the way that it's set up, our healthcare system, it doesn't really lean to taking the time to sit down and listen to somebody. You know, it's always like onto the next patient. You need to see more people. You need to get your charts done. You need to, if you want to go home in the next ten hours, then you got to get a move on, right? So I think that's part of it, and I think a lot of it is the way that we are trained. We want things to go into boxes mhm and things that we can diagnose and treat that have an answer and when we are looking at something that you just don't understand and you can't find an answer i think that really really bothers um, healthcare practitioners it's hard to be like i don't know and to admit that you don't know and i think that's a lot of it's in the structure of our healthcare system and the way we're taught well, this is this problem, this is how you fix it. And so when it doesn't fit those parameters, providers get uncomfortable.
1: So that's good to hear from an insider. And maybe we'll come back to this topic after we hear a little bit what happened to you personally, because that would be interesting to see. You know, it seems like you've kind of seen it from both sides now. But can you give us a snapshot of what your life looked like maybe in that last year before POTS? entered your
2: life sure i was was working in orthopedic practice very busy i was working 40 60 hours a week i worked for four different surgeons so life is very busy i have two kids so go home get them to all the things they're doing gymnastics and and soccer and all of that sometimes i would help make dinner clean up clean the house going on a 10 out of 10 all the time On the weekends, we usually were very busy, active. We would go to the lake surfing. We'd be out hiking. We'd go to the ocean, go shell hunting. Basically, my life was just one activity to the next, and I really had no problem doing that for the most part. So
1: that was kind of my life, all my life. So then what was your first sign that something was up?
2: My primary care doctor and I, we're starting to look for things, probably even before the beginning of 2020, I was having night sweats, kind of waking up with the kind of tremulousness that people talk about. So we had really started worrying about, is this something, is there a malignancy of some kind? Like, why am I having these terrible night sweats? I'm 38 years old at the time, what's going on? You know, I was too young to be perimenopausal really. So that's kind of what we initially were looking at, is I had some really troubled sleep and those,
1: those kind of night sweats and kind of tremulousness. And so, okay, so how did you get from there to a POTS diagnosis? Was, is it any easier when you actually are in the healthcare field? I think so.
2: You know, one thing about healthcare providers or health, people that work in healthcare is we are terrible at managing our own health. So in my world, it was just like, I'm fine. There's nothing going on. It's no big deal. We did the blood work for cancer stuff and it was all fine. So I just got to suck it up, right? Too bad. So then just continue on with my normal stuff. I had a lot of fatigue. I was coming home at coming home at night and needing to just like lay down and sleep. And sometimes I would sleep till like eight or nine o'clock and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to wake up to put my kids to bed and go back to bed. But in January of 2020. I woke up with big cervical lymph nodes, so these are lymph nodes that lie above your collarbone on the on the um, right side. Again in healthcare settings, you think malignancy, 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 that's what you worry about. So again, we started kind of down this road of what is going on with this person. We did like mammograms, we did more blood work, we had an ultrasound of the nodes, all that came back pretty much unremarkable then in February I got some sort of viral illness we all joked about it being COVID even though we didn't really have much COVID known in the United States at the time it was starting the buzz was kind of coming out and I'd had a cough and fever and chills and you know again not willing to take any rest or anything you know just kind of pushing through it I just thought I had a some sort of viral illness which we still don't know whether that was COVID or not COVID because by the time we did antibodies, I did them in like August of 2020, I didn't have any. So so who knows if that was an early case of COVID or or something else, influenza, whatever. Then after that, kind of the fatigue persisted. Then I started into kind of the postural tachycardia. Notice especially in the afternoons, I'd be up walking around and notice on my watch that my heart rates were in the mid hundreds, you know, sometimes 130s. And I just like, okay, that's interesting. I didn't really feel too terrible. But then as it progressed, I started having really low blood pressures in the tachycardia, a lot of dizziness. Then where it really took a turn was when we went into the summer months. So as things started to get hot, I am an outdoor sun worshiping person. Like Someone that would get in a hot car and shut the door and like enjoy. (laughs) So, um, we planned a trip down to Lake Shasta for the 4th of July. We took our boat, my two kids and my husband and I, and we camped next to Lake Shasta. So it was very hot. It was in the hundreds. We were out on the boat all day. You know, I made valiant effort to drink lots and lots of Gatorade and water and make sure my kids did and everything. I was surfing several hours a day behind our boat. And one night I came back to camp and went to bed and I just was plagued all night by this pounding in my ears and just feeling like lightheaded so I could hear my heartbeat. Just... That's where things really spiraled really fast. We stayed through the weekend and then I had to drive. we had taken two vehicles, one to pull our camper and one to pull our boat. And I drove home. the. And there were a couple times I'm like, I might have to stop and rest because I'm just like, you know, that cognitive brain fog kind of thing that you get. Like, oh man. I feel like there's not I'm not getting enough oxygen in my brain or something. Like this is crazy. And I figured I was just dehydrated, so kept drinking, kept drinking, Gatorade, all the things. But then we got home that afternoon and we were unloading. And it was hot, super hot day. We lived in Grants Pass, Oregon. And It was in the hundreds and so we're unloading stuff. So I went to shower and I really love hot showers so I will turn it as hot as possible, or used to, I should say. I was in the shower for just a few minutes and then I don't really remember a whole lot.
1: Oh boy, what happened?
2: I started to black out in the shower and so I knew what was kind of coming so I just got on the floor and I was trying to yell to my husband and I was like, I can't get out of the shower. And he's like, what? What are you talking about? You know, it took him time to get back there. But I was just my body like could not resume upright posture. So I just laid there on the floor. Um, anytime I tried to get up, it was like things would go black. So I laid there for a while and then I was like, well, what is going on here? I must build dehydration. I'm going to crawl to my bed. So I crawled to my bed and chugged Gatorade, um, laid there for a while. I even tried to do something called Epley Maneuver on myself. It's a maneuver that you do on someone that has like a vertigo, benign positional vertigo. So you kind of roll your head, a patient onto their side, onto their back. I was trying anything to try and get myself to feel better because I still needed to go in and do charts that day. Oh, so I was like laid there for an hour or so and finally it was like I felt a little bit better. So I went into work. <laughs> I was able to kind of get up and drive to work and it was kind of a mess. I was trying to chart and do all the things and I got through some of it and then I was going to go home and I like was walking out to my car and I like was going dark again and I was sitting next to my car, figuring out what I should do. I didn't want to call my husband, and he might have to pick me up and have to get my car later. So I just waited it out for a little while, and every time i tried try to stand up, lights. Oh, wow. So across the parking lot is the emergency room. So I decided I'm just gonna go get fluid, and I'll be fine. So I walked over there, they checked me in, and the ER physician kept me for like five hours, because Anytime I moved on the your bed, my heart rate would go nuts. So it was not even like a standing up; my heart rate would go wild. It was even just like trying to sit up in the
1: in the bed. And did everybody understand that this was pots at that point, or were you still wondering? No, what it we was? had no clue.
2: I had no clue um, what was going on. I really just thought I was really dehydrated, even though I'd been drinking and drinking and drinking this whole time. And they did my blood work, and he's like, "You're not dehydrated," and I said. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I just want you to give me fluid, I'm going to go home. And then he just kept kind of watching my vitals do crazy things, and he's like, I think there's something more here. And I was like, I just want my fluids, and I'm going to go home. <laughs> like, So he did some more things. He checks for blood clots in my lungs. I don't think we did any scans. I think we may have done a chest X-ray or something that night, but he's like, only way I'm letting you out of here is if you promise to follow up with your primary care doctor this week, and I know him well, so I was like, "Yeah, it's no problem." So let's go. I scheduled an appointment, and that ER doctor I was so lucky because he, like, I should show you the report. I've never seen an ER report like that where it was like, "Could be cervical instability, could be pots, could be this, could be this." He went on and on about different things in his ER report. I had diagnosed one. P- patient when I was working family medicine. So I'd kind of heard of it, but I didn't know a whole lot about it. But my primary care doctor and I got together that week and started talking about things to check off our list and go through. And he scheduled me for a tilt table test. I went to see an endocrinologist. I went and saw my neurologist because I've had cervical spine surgery. So we wanted to make sure there wasn't anything there going on. So I saw them. I saw a whole slew of people <laughs> a whole battery of tests that were so then yeah, I ended up going home to Utah before I could be scheduled to my for my tilt table test. And again, hot, super hot in Utah, big elevation change, sea level to we were at fifty six hundred feet here. So when I came back from Utah I was even worse and ended up in the ER. This time the ER doctor was not super nice and and accused me of anxiety and all the things Oh, really? everything that everyone talks about
1: did he know that you were a physician's assistant and did he know that you had been there before and yeah and so
2: you know it's really just any given moment at an emergency room or somewhere you can get different attitudes about things you know and i know you know er's is their mantra is treat and street oh really okay yeah so it's like well you're not dying so follow up with your primary care provider right so they even did a spinal tap on me i think they did a ct of my head i was i was actually like watching my heart rate in the in the room and so i would stand up and it would go really high and then i'd sit down and come back down and it would alarm and all the things and they came in and they're like you're fine i'm like yeah sure i am whatever and they sent me home on a bunch of Ativan, uh, which is a just kind of knock you out, anxiety drug. I was like, fine, I'll take it, whatever. I don't really remember getting home. I don't remember much about that night. I just remember my dogs waking me up, licking me incessantly. I think I was having some heart rhythm issues in my sleep because my husband and kids had stayed back in Utah to spend more
1: time. Oh, so you were by yourself. I was alone, so. Can I ask you about this theory? So... Of of course, many POTS patients get told it's just anxiety, but from a medical standpoint, does it make sense that if you're anxious, your heart rate would only be high when you're upright and not when you're laying down? Like to me, as somebody who knows nothing about this, it seems like an anxious person would have uniformly, like it wouldn't make a difference yes. what your posture is. Yes, I think
2: that's absolutely right. So, you know, I grew up, I have had anxiety my whole life, so I, this is not something that's new to me, but anxiety, I have anxiety, but never has anxiety made my heart rate super high. You know, what I mean, you get a little bit tachycardic and, and you breathe through it or whatever, but it's never 130, 140, 150, 60, 70, you know, those kind of really high numbers that you see in these really acutely ill POTS patients. Mm-hmm. So I think that is one thing that really we've got to pound the message home that, you know, when someone comes to you with a complaint of tachycardia, you need to be sure to separate, tease that out. Does it seem to be when you're resting? Is it when you're standing? Is it all the time? I think that's a really important thing to think about as a provider.
1: Okay. So my next question is how long did you go on like this and who figured out that it was POTS? And once you knew it was POTS, did things get much better? Did that, I mean, you were already doing the hydration and the Gatorade, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. And so. So
2: looking back, I think that I had been sort of Unconsciously self medicating for a long time. Okay, I'm like a avid diet coke drinker, and I've always loved salty diet beverages. So I was already chugging liters a day in cola and water and and everything. So I've been doing that for years, and you know people always joke that I always have a water bottle or something with me, and that was before the pot's diagnosis or anything. I've always kind of been that way, especially from the time I was pregnant and so we can talk about more of that but so I was going to work I wasn't feeling good I was having brain fog you know I'd come out of patient rooms and be like good thing I wrote that down because I don't even remember what I saw them for it got to that point and that's the point where you know I'd come out of the rooms I was tachycardia they were finally like you're you become a danger to to the clinic but Before they officially put me out of work, I ended up getting the tilt test in late July, I believe. And uh, about twelve minutes in I passed out cold. You know, my heart rate went up like it's imagine it would in pots, and then about twelve minutes in I passed out. They debated whether it was pots or if I'd had a vasovagal type event, and turns out it was probably both, but when that came up, so um, they the technicians there, they couldn't tell me anything, right? So I had to wait for the cardiologist to read it. And then I can't remember if I pulled it up or if my I think I pulled it up on like a my chart and it said suspect pots. And I lost it because I had diagnosed and was had treated a patient with POTS before. You know, I was her primary care provider. I wasn't her POTS specialist. But she she had been like me, she had been act of her whole life. Um, she'd gone overseas on a mission uh, with her church or something and got meningitis and she was never the same
1: after that. So when you say you lost it, do you mean you lost it because you were mad? It took so long to figure it out no. or you were Do you had POTS? They were suggesting that
2: I had POTS and what little I knew about POTS, I didn't want anything to do with it. Right. So I was like, nope, nope, I I don't have POTS. It's not, no, and nope, I'm not doing that. That is not what it is. Like, no. My boss was like, you need to calm down. I was like, I do not have POTS. I do not want to have POTS. He's like, what's POTS? You know, he's a surgeon. He's like, I barely knew what it was. And I'd worked in family medicine for, you know, like five, six years. So I, I was freaking out about
1: it. That's interesting to me because presumably, as a physician's assistant, you've seen a lot of nasty diagnoses in your life. So POTS was something you considered a bad one? Yeah.
2: There was even a time where I was like, why couldn't it be cancer? Like cancer has a cure. Like most cancers you can treat, like sometimes they can go away. Like this is a chronic life altering illness. You know, all I could think about was my patient that I had been treating those years And how every appointment she came in was like, I feel horrible. I can't function. I want to function. Like, what can we do, you know? And and just feeling like me as a provider, I wasn't able to help her that much. You know, I didn't know that much about POTS and I had no training about it as a PA in school. So all that was just like, ask your specialist, ask your specialist. It was just panic for me to go no, not this, please not this.
1: Now, have you been able to find things that help very much? So my provider and I, you know, we kind of put our heads together and we we
2: started looking at things that we could do. And, you know, I'd gone to an endocrinologist and, you know, they'd kind of ruled out anything really significant there. They'd wondered if I had Addison's disease, which is When you're not making enough of your stress hormones, it starts to affect your body. And so one of the options for treatment is Florinef, as I'm sure you're familiar with that. And so we decided we were going to put me on Florinef. I think we started at a 0.05 dose. It took a couple days to kick in because that's how steroids work. But the first few days that it kicked in, I felt great. Like, I was like, I can do this. Like, this is... This is good. I'm have energy. I'm functioning. My heart rates aren't as high. But then, as I took it longer, it was about two weeks in, I had a horrible reaction. This medication. It ended up dropping my potassium. It ended up giving me like an out of body experience. Like, oh my. I was like, couldn't sleep. I was felt like I was just wired, 20 out of 10, all day, every day. Oh. And the the potassium drop caused me to have like severe muscle cramping the last night before i stopped it my whole body was just shaking from that electrolyte imbalance so did you have to give it up completely so yeah that was the point where you know they put me out of work out of work because i just couldn't function and we decided to pack up our stuff and move home to utah where we had
1: support oh I'm sorry so i'm so your medicine failed you and it made your doctor fire you. No, my doctor did not
2: fire me. No, <laughs> my doctor did definitely not, did not fire me. But that medicine just like did not work. And it caused me such severe anxiety and, and other problems that I just couldn't function. And my mom had come up to stay with us and, you know, she couldn't stay forever. So and my husband was trying to manage all the things on his own. Um, pretty much with our two kids cause I was a mess. And so we decided we needed to move back to, to Utah. So okay. We packed okay. up and put all our stuff in our camper and it was fire season. There were fires all around us like, um, <sighs> and so we drove out of the flames and with what we could shove in my camper and truck and
1: drove home to Utah. That sounds almost too symbolic, yeah. right? Like driving through the flames. We were like, <laughs> like my mom oh. was like, we don't have to stop
2: like anywhere for gas anytime soon, right? Because it was just so much smoke, and she has asthma. But that was that year that the in Southern Oregon that uh, town burned completely to
1: the ground. Oh, sure. So, so that was only about thirty miles from our house. So, tell me this. Have you found things that have helped very much since then? Or are you still feeling at your original way better than
2: I was then, you know, I got to the point where like I could not tolerate being upright for more than a couple of hours. You know, I felt like I needed to sleep all the time. Like I felt like I couldn't read something and like get what it was saying. Like I just, my body was done. So, We moved in with my parents and one of the reasons i came home to utah is because i know so many providers here right so i immediately got an appointment with my friend that's a neurologist and he and i you know we worked with my primary care doctor still in oregon who was amazing by the way he's a godsend you know he was so such a great advocate for me but we just started experimenting pretty much i was like i'm willing to do anything so had to taper me off of the Florinef. I had to be put on clonazepam to help with the anxiety that that had caused me. They put me on protostigmine. So I started with that and, you know, I felt like that kind of helped jumpstart me. So out of this kind of just nothingness. But eventually as we kind of titrated up, um, I ended up with a lot of abdominal pain and things like that. So which isn't atypical for of stigmine. it works by affecting your muscles. So then I went and met with my neurologist again, and he was like, you look terrible still. You look like you don't feel good. I don't like this. And so I said, well, what should we do next? And again, we're just experimenting. We put me on Midadrin. I started mm-hmm. with that. And then somewhere along the way, actually to help with kind of my anxiety stuff. Cause I didn't want to be on that clonazepam long term. We started adding in beta blocker a little bit here and there. So propranolol and so kind of experimented with all these things. And then I finally saw Stanford in January of 2021 and they repeated my tilt table. And they confirmed that I, that I had POTS and then I had some signs of um, the autonomic neuropathy as well. But at that point, he just had me continue with the Minadrin and Pranilol and then started me in the Chop Levine protocol. I'm sure you're familiar with that. Mm-hmm. The recumbent exercise. Yep. So I went home with that and I got together with one of my physical therapist friends here who knew nothing about POTS. But I showed him this protocol and I was like, Can you help me? And he said, Sure. I said, I just need one to document that I'm doing something and two, someone to watch me so I don't pass out at home or something. So I started there the first day I went, I could do seven minutes on the bike and I thought I was gonna die. So I went home and that night, you know, the tremors, that tremulousness shook for hours. Oh, wow. You know, we just went slow. I think I went three times a week for, I think six weeks is what they let you go. And then he kind of turned it over to me at that point. So, So that's what I've been doing.
1: And how functional are you now?
2: I'm way better than I was. I would say I'm probably 60 to 70 percent of my previous. Okay. So, depending on the day, the week, whatever is going on. I can now do like 40 minutes fly on a recumbent bike. I have rode biked on my bike seven miles recently and oh, very nice. I've started doing lap swimming. So I can tolerate lap swimming for about an hour. I kind of do an interval lap swimming type training, but as far as the Livian protocol, I can't get past month five without crashing. So I have had to kind of keep it there for now. So I still, I would say I have more good days than bad days now, Mm -hmm. but I'm still not my previous self, you know, and realize that I may not
1: ever be completely so can I ask you about your perspective on the healthcare system now that it sounds like you had a lot of experience being a provider and who and I don't know, maybe you had experience being a patient quite a bit before this, but it sounds like in the last couple of years, you've had a lot of experience with the limitations of what the healthcare system can do for a patient. And so I guess has your perspective changed at all? And do you have any tips for patients who are trying to get the best possible care? So a couple of things about that. I'm very fortunate
2: that, you know, I got a diagnosis in such a short time. You know, I started feeling crappy in February, we'll say January. I had kind of that weird stuff, but February, early March, and I had a diagnosis by I mean, they suspected it in August and we started messing around with treatments then, and then I was confirmed in January. So it took me less than a year to get a diagnosis, which is mm-hmm. a third or a quarter of what the average POTS patient gets. And I think what I had going for me is that my provider knew me personally very well. He knew that I was, you know, stubborn and that I wasn't going to make up anything about my, you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm like, right.
1: You had tons of credibility.
2: Did we work up those nice sweats. I was like, I'm fine, everything's fine. It was literally like I could not function and he knew that I wasn't making it up or or anything. He knew I liked my job and all the things that I do. And so I was very fortunate to have someone that believed me was interested in helping and learning and, and all of that. But I think throughout this process, I've definitely have felt, you know, what patients are talking about where they don't feel like they're believed or that people think they're exaggerating or I saw my neurosurgeon that did my neck and he said to me something like Rhonda sometimes you just have to push through things I said well it turns out that actually what my pot specialist told me got me into this situation is that I ignored all these symptoms for so long that eventually my body just stopped functioning, and so I was able to kind of just say actually that that's not true in this case and I don't appreciate you suggesting that and you know I think there's been times where I've gone to my primary care provider and I've had things and they're just like I don't know what to do like I'm not a pot specialist. Like, what do you want me to do about it? You know, so, so I think, I think that it's been a good experience for me to have, not one that anyone wants to have. But, you know, I've gone through those moments where it's like, do I send the email? Do I not send the email? Are they going to think I'm crazy? I want to change medications again. I'm having this side effect. Like,
1: I was just having that today. <laughs> do I send it? Do I bug them again?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, so. Yeah, I sit there at your computer and you're like I've been having this delete 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 I've
1: <laughs> you know well that's funny that you say that and like you were saying in the beginning I have learned so you know it took me 17 years to get oh a diagnosis gosh. and that, so I feel like I I'm so much better at being a patient now than I used to be and one of the things I've really learned is that I take time to craft my emails and my messages because I try to make them so, so, so as short as possible and as clear as possible and as friendly as possible and as appreciative. But I I realized that the people reading them are very, very busy and... Every time I do it now, I feel like I understand the game, and I feel like I did not understand it at all for the first 20 years I was doing this, and that's probably why I didn't get anywhere. Yeah,
2: I mean, it's, I mean, I'll be honest, as a provider, there were times that, you know, the same patient would email you 10 times in the day, and you're like, ah, just stop. Give me a minute to, like, think about this, and like, can you seriously be having another side effect? Like, ah, you know, like, so I've been on both ends of that, or it's like, I think that's helped me know how to kind of approach it, you know, that I'm really sorry to bother you again. This is a serious concern for me. And here's my reasons why I can't tolerate this. Or like, for example, I wrote my hot specialist recently because my beta blocker was giving me bronchospasms. So shortness of breath with exercise. So then I'm like, well, it controls my heart rate. It's mostly controls my tremor. Like, but I want to change it because I don't want to have bronchospasm. So, I did all my research. I'm like, well, okay. I'm writing you because you want me to continue to increase my cardiac exertion to build cardiac output, but this is limited by the bronchospasm caused <laughs> by my and. I've done research on all the different beta blockers and I think that I would like to take this one and this is why. And does that work (laughs) for you? What do you think? (laughs) And and, uh, he was like, okay, Rhonda, it's fine, we can switch or and see how it goes.
1: Yeah, my new strategy that I feel like has helped me is that I go to the pharmacist first. That's a good way to do and it. And I speak yeah. with them, figure it out. And then I write to the doctor and say, I talked to the pharmacist and here's what we think.
2: Yeah, that's a good way to do it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, i prescribed the beta blockers for years, so I kind of know what ones people tolerate and don't tolerate. And kind of those mm-hmm. those catchwords like bronchospasm, like, oh, she really is having a major issue with this. We don't want her doing that. So yeah, I that kind of feeling sort of like a helpless patient feeling, you know, it's it's real and and I experience it as well, you know, and so I think that's been an important thing for me to experience as a as a person. For so when I get back to work and I'm interacting with people again to just remember mm-hmm. that. Again, we have to remember that these people don't want to be sick. They don't want to be bothering you. They don't want to be sending five emails. They don't want to leave five messages on your phone. Like they just want to function like normally have a normal life where they can go watch their kids play sports and have enough energy to cook dinner and
1: and those things. It's, it's a real struggle. Yeah. Well. Would you be up for doing our speed round where we ask sure. you to just say the first thing sure. that comes to your Absolutely. mind? And we know that your mind is not getting adequate circulation so that's half done. Yes, time. right, what am I gonna um... say? <laughs> 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 what is your favorite way to get salt?
2: I use the oral, tri-oral is what I use, lots of salt. Or I have Himalayan salt and i put some in my hand and
1: just eat it. Straight. Okay. What is the drink that you find the most hydrating? Hydrating. I again use that trioral, or I like Liquid Ivy. What is one word that describes what it's like living with a chronic illness? Uphill. What is some good advice that anyone ever gave you about anything?
2: If you're not succeeding, you just have to keep trying. You know, you have to keep getting up, and you have to
1: keep putting your
2: ox and mire whatever you know and and that's kind of always how i approach life and i think now as a pot's patient you have to think about it differently what keeping it engaged doesn't necessarily mean physically it's mentally as much as anything you have to keep trying and Mm -hmm. convincing yourself that you
1: can keep going and keep trying what is something small or inexpensive that brings you comfort or joy diet (laughs) coke
2: (laughs) I know I shouldn't drink it. Okay. I know I shouldn't, but.
1: Who is somebody that you admire? Oh, geez. Um, Lots of people.
2: My go-to for when I think about that is my grandmother, Tolson. So that's my dad's mom. She was the most kind, genuine, caring, loving human anyone could ever meet. And I've always strived to be like her. I got a long ways to go.
1: Very nice. What is something that you are proud of?
2: Um I'm proud of my PA career. I think I've accomplished a lot in 10 years and worked in a broad base of things, a broad spectrum of, you know, types of medicine. So, I'm
1: proud of that. What is the toughest thing about pots?
2: I think the hardest thing about pots is just not knowing what your day's going to look like every day. You can have a good string of few days together, they're really good and you're like, "All right, I got this. We're life's good and I'm going to go back to normal." And then Everything will go crashing. Lamo. Under, Mm -hmm. I think that's the hardest part of POTS is predictable, but not all at the same time. You never quite know what each day is going to bring you.
1: What is an activity that you can enjoy even when you're really potsy? I like reading and I like to watch basketball. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Do you have anything that helps you fall asleep? (laughs) Trazodone.
2: Mm-hmm. I do a lot of, I, I do take trazodone and I do deep breathing. So mm-hmm. I'll do triangle breathing. Breathe in eight seconds, hold eight seconds, breathe out eight seconds, and I'll just keep doing that. Your Apple Watch can help you through it too. There's a timer. So um, I think
1: those are a couple things that help me. Great. What is something that you are grateful for? I'm grateful for a great support
2: system that I have, you know, I have great family members who support me and don't get after me when I'm not feeling the best and and so I think that's
1: that's my biggest blessing. And what is the weirdest place you've ever had to sit down or lie down because of POTS? I would say work, yeah,
2: I don't, yeah, I mean, i just feeling really stupid and be like, I'm not going to be in this patient room laying on the bed. Before I go see my next patient, <laughs> oh,
1: that's right you have beds here, yeah, so you, know. you don't have to lay to
2: lay it here for a minute <laughs> and then you know I'll go see my next patient when I can get it together. yeah, that wasn't
1: good. That's why they had to kick me off so I just have a couple more questions. Okay. What do you wish more people knew about pots? Well, first
2: of all, that it exists, right, and so I think that's key in moving forward, and in I've been in. POTS, continuing medical education courses, and it's a matter of us getting the word out, getting it out to primary care doctors, getting it out to people, getting it out in the public so people know this is mm-hmm. this is a thing. It's real, and it's probably more common than we think, and I think you just want people to know that it's real and that it it's life-changing for people, and the more people that know about it, the more people that care about it, the more... We're going to get money for research and be able to find answers. So I just think that's and you proving that it exists to the people is mm-hmm. is what we need to to work on.
1: Yeah, and my last question is just: Is there anything you'd want to say to your fellow POTS patients out there who may be listening? Oh man, just we
2: have to keep trying and keep putting ourselves out there to try new things and because you know people like yourself that have suffered for years and years and years we've got to do better for for you guys especially you know some of us think we've had it bad and we've had it a year or so you know but i think if we put ourselves out there be willing to be involved in research and things that's the best thing we can do for each other and share each other's stories and you know in the pops groups and people share things that they do you know compression socks versus compression shorts are actually probably better you know i think we all just have to keep supporting each other and, and encouraging each other to get up every day and, and keep fighting a good fight, I guess.
1: Yeah, those are great words. Well, Rhonda, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your stories with us. And we sure hope that things keep getting better because we can't wait to have you back as a PA helping to spread the word yes. about this and help diagnose more I'm hoping patients. hoping to get back
2: to work for too long. So. Oh, good. We'll see what venture will be next. But yeah, I would be love to delve into that a little
1: bit more any anytime. Perfect. Well, thanks again. And hey, listeners, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again
0: soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your health care team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepotscast.com. Thanks for listening.